Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to another installment of the NTC Podcast. This is our 78th installment. I'm Aaron Washington, your host. This evening, special guest in the house, guys, Andrew Combo Salo. So just to introduce my man here real quick, Andrew is a New York native. He's from the Bronx originally, played professionally from 2007 to 2017. So he has 10 years of professional basketball experience. He is the, currently the host of the Combos Court Podcast, and he is the co-host of the Believe in Magic podcast. So Andrew and I are cut from the same cloth as far as being in the media space, running the podcast game. He knows the ins and outs. He's had some awesome guests on his pod. It's a great wealth of basketball knowledge that I'm really excited to ask him about here this evening. So Andrew, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on. Really looking forward to chopping it up, talking about some ball here with you this evening. That was a great introduction, Aaron. Well done. Well done. I've heard a lot of introductions and... That that's up there, man. That's up there. <laughs> Appreciate it. It's definitely uh it's definitely a try and error kind of thing. You go through it enough times, you figure out what yeah. works, what doesn't, refine your process. So <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it. Great stuff, man. <laughs> Thank you. So Andrew, uh, before we get into the formal topics of today's podcast, you know, we're gonna jump all over, man. We're gonna get into your experience here a little bit, uh, into your background in the in the hoops game when you played dive into um, the New York's hoop scene a little bit. want to get your take about um, some great hoopers to come out of that area. Um, Harden drama, the in-season uh, tournament, all really interesting topics. But what could be the most interesting on this podcast is what I'm going to ask you first. Your nickname, Combo. Explain to us where that came from. Was it a size-up package that you had that you were known for? Were you breaking people down off the crossover? How did that come to be? I think that's the reason why most people think I have the nickname because, you know, I had a really nice handle for my size. I actually had a late growth spurt, so I was a guard growing up. And then when I got my size, I still had my handle and my ability to play like a guard. But that's not really it. It's like, to be totally honest, it was just a silly name I gave myself in the third grade and it stuck around. But it's interesting, like everybody has their own idea of why I'm named that. Some people will say, oh, is it because of Street Fighter? Oh, is it because of those combo pretzels back in the day? Do you like McDonald's? No, I don't like McDonald's. Um, unless they want to sponsor the pod. Sh- shouts to McDonald's. But right. no, it was really just a it, it was really just a silly nickname I gave myself, and I don't find it too silly anymore. I love it, and that's where that's what I'm known as to the public. So it's great and I love it. And I nice. guess it can mean whatever you want it to mean, as long as it's respectful, you know. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's the beauty of it, man. It has such versatility. Uh, if yeah. it was something more straightforward, then, you know, I guess it's a little less interesting. But yeah. since it's kind of uncertain, people just ask you and they come up with their own ideas. So that's funny that people have their own interpretation of that. I love it. Yeah, man. Yeah, I love my nickname. And, um, you know, I think many people who knew me after the podcast or through the podcast, they know me as Combo. But some people before that who maybe knew me growing up, they might know me as Andrew or Combo. But I've been Combo for a very long time, so many people do know me as that. I love it, man. I love it. So to dive right into our first topic of the day, what I want to dive into here with you first, Andrew, is basically your professional experience. In our history of our podcast, No Trade Clause, we haven't had that many people that have had a professional basketball career. I did have on uh, Jamal McCoy. He played overseas for several years. He was our last guest in the podcast. Uh, Haywood Highsmith, currently for the Miami Heat, he's, he, he was on our pod. But in the 78, I would say that maybe five or six have professional basketball experience. So I would consider you one of – you're definitely in a specialized class, at least when it comes to our podcast and the type of guests we had on. So I feel like it's only right to ask you about your background, what you experienced, what you encountered. Um, you know, you've played, you've played here, you've played in a couple of other different countries. So I wanted to dive in, into that a little bit here with you, if you don't mind. So to kind of start things off, I mean, how, how did you begin your professional basketball journey? Did it start in America? Did it start overseas? Um, how did it all get going? What kind of led you to pursue career professional basketball? What were the origins of your journey through playing basketball on the highest level? Yeah, my route at the professional level started in the ABA and that's back back when the G league wasn't as developed as it is now. Right. It wasn't like one-to-one or close to it at least. So like the leagues, like the ABA and the CBA and the USBL were a little bit stronger. So that's actually where I started in the minor leagues. And then from there, I got a workout in Israel from the tape I got in the ABA, 
the ABA team was actually owned by Elton Brand. Um, everybody knows who Elton Brand is. And, you know, that was a great experience. We got to travel to Singapore and Canada. So that was like my first taste of overseas basketball, even though Canada isn't overseas, but you get it, different country. And sure. then I, you know, I went to Israel and that was an amazing experience. And I actually um, even played a year in Denmark over the years. So, yeah, it was a, it was a lengthy time overseas. And I think you learn even more off the court than you do on the court, even though you learn so much on the court as well, because it's a totally different basketball experience. That's really interesting, man. And uh, I'm glad you brought up the G League. Uh, I'm sure that sometimes you look back or you look at what's going on in the G League today, how these guys are performing. They're getting opportunities at Summer League. You know, you've got the G League Ignite. I mean, there's just so many different paths in the NBA. Uh, do you feel like, how do you, do, do you ever think about how your journey might be different if you were coming up in the 2020s and there are the other avenues of basketball today. I mean, do you, do you think it would have been a little bit different for you as far as the route you would have pursued um, professionally? I guess maybe like, like me at six, five, having a handle and playing like a guard, like I was a really big guard and I don't feel like I'm a big guard if I was growing up in this era. Right. So I think it's totally different. Like I have confidence in myself. I would do well, but it's now like everybody six, five could ha handle shoot pass. Right. So right. it's definitely different and every generation gets better and better and better. And it's amazing to see that, you know, we see guys now like Wemby and Bo Bo, like seven, five dribble pass shoot. Right. So, They're I mean, the insane. game has evolved so much. Yeah, it's crazy. And so the game has evolved so much, even since I finished playing um, at a serious level, I still hoop, you know, in the gym, but you know, the game has just evolved to a crazy level. Like the positional size is just so different. These days, like we actually we don't have the smaller players, but I just mentioned Bull. I mean, Wemby, who's seven, you know, four. We don't really have players his size anymore because a lot of them defensively can't even hang in the NBA. Right. Or can't get up and down. So it's like kind of mm -hmm. like the smallest players are taken out and the biggest players are taken out, too. And everybody's more in the middle around from maybe my height to six, eight. Like that's where we see the most players fall in terms of height. Exactly. It comes down to versatility. That's what everybody yeah. wants these days. Yeah. They want players that can pass, shoot, handle, rebound, start the break, all that stuff. So players at that size give them a lot of different options. And, of course, some are a little bit taller, like Paolo. Uh, you mentioned Bull Bull can do a lot of things. So it's just a really interesting, Even, uh, really fun time to be a Hoops fan or just to follow in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, even, even his teammate Franz. I mean, both those guys are like point forward yeah. type players, right? And it's really amazing to see. And I think back when I was playing, man, I'm making myself sound so old, but they wanted to fit you into a position, right? Like they wanted you to play this position. And I was just a basketball player. So I ended up playing the one, the two, the three. And at this point, you don't really have to fit into those position slots. So maybe that even would have benefited me. I don't know, because I was just a basketball player that could play like multiple guard positions. And they don't really care about if you could fit into a positional slot anymore. It's really about blending the skill sets and talents of your players and making it mesh together, right? Like with Denver, you have Jokic, but Jamal Murray's not a typical point guard, but he fits so well with Jokic because he has some point guard ability, but he also has some off-ball ability. So it's kind of like, yep. it's, it's less about positions and more about meshing tendencies and skill sets. Exactly. That's, that's a good way to put it because – you know, in today's game, you won't see the traditional guard big pick and rolls. You'll see those mm -hmm. inverse pick and rolls where the biggest handling, the guard is screening, or you have two guards in the action just because they can all do so many different things. It's just, it's just really wild to think about like how just the X's and O's have changed so much over the past several years. So uh, getting back to your professional career here a little bit, you've had a few different stops. You played some different countries. You mentioned Israel. Um, I believe you played over here a little bit. Of all your different stops, different teams you played for over the years, do you have one stop or one team that stands out to you as far as like your favorite experience? Everything just gelled for you and your team had a lot of success. Does like one experience come to mind for you as far as like your fondest memories of, of professional basketball? Yeah, I think Denmark was really my favorite place to play because maybe this is for a selfish reason. Like everything was revolved around me. Like I was the American, I was the guy, I was the main player. And I really wanted that experience. I had things close to that in Israel at certain times and certain times I didn't. Like I was in some tough situations, I was in some better situations. But Denmark was really that situation where I had the super green light and I just proved to myself what I already knew, right? In my opinion. So 
that was a great experience for me just for the freedom I had on the basketball court, right? It was almost like Pete Maravich playing for press, and if you if you will. <laughs> that explains it pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> You're the exactly. guy. Exactly. I, I mean, just freedom. I could I could do I could do whatever I want. I could do whatever I want. Sure. I mean, I mean, I, I get it. Like that's uh, that's kind of like I think most people would pick that. If you have the freedom to assert your role on the court, you're not pigeonholed into one role, like just go spot up in the corner or just get it on the boards. Yeah. It's going to make a lot of fun because yeah. you can just be yourself yeah. and explore the, the the limits of your game. So no, I, I totally get that. Yeah. And that's what a lot of NBA players have to get out of, right? Making that transition from whether it may be high school or college to the NBA they no longer are that guy for the most part. I mean, there's 25 to 30 guys that just get the basketball and do whatever they want. Right. But if you're not one of those yeah. guys, you got to kind of find how to play in a system in your role. How does your game fit around the league's best players? So everybody mm-hmm. got to figure that out. And it's, it's a tough thing to figure out. And some players never do. That's true. That's why some don't make it. It's all about being flexible yeah. and being coachable. And, um, you remind me of a conversation I had with James May uh, last summer. He was he was the coach of the um, Brooklyn Nets summer league team in 22. And um, he was talking about exactly what you're talking about. These guys coming out of high school, college, being the number one option, getting to uh, the NBA level, and you got to break them down. Uh, it's, a, it's a culture shock in a way because they're so used to playing one way or just being in a certain type of system. It kind of like – get them out of their comfort zone and you really kind of explore what they can and can do. And it's just about preaching to them. It's like, Hey, I know what got you here in the first place, but what got you here is not going to sustain you over time because like what you just said, you're not probably not going to be the number one option. It gets the ball every single time. So it's about finding your niche and finding ways to contribute on the margins instead of just, I'm going to be a scorer. I'm going to score 20, 30 a night. Most players are not going to get that kind of opportunity just right out the gate. I totally agree. There's so much to unpack there because if you are one of those type of players that just needs the freedom, needs the ball, you either got to be the best player on the team or the second best player on the team, or there's a chance for you for that sixth man role, microwave scoring off the Mm -hmm. bench. And if you're not one of those, you're going overseas because then there's some Mm -hmm. jobs over there for you where you could like, kind of like just do your own thing. Right. And even then that gets tricky. You kind of need even a diversified skill set these days over there. So I think it's so interesting. Also, a lot of my friends that work in the NBA don't like the idea that everybody, and we're going to get to James Harden, everybody works out, works on their game these days like they're James Harden. But there's not Mm. too many players that are going to have the basketball like that, like James Harden. And their whole workout is like their Kyrie or James Harden, right? But that's not what they're going to be doing in an NBA game. So it's really interesting that a lot of guys just work out like that, but that's probably doesn't give you your best chance to make it in the league and do well in the league. Right, right. That's a good point. You see all these off-season workout videos uh, that will go on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So they're they're doing their runs, they're doing their workouts. Like Cole Anthony is playing like he's James Harden. Ben Simmons yeah. is playing like he's James Harden. Like all these guys, <laughs> I and mean, that's what gets views. And then everybody starts chattering. Yeah. It's like, oh, he has a three-point shot. Mitchell Robinson is shooting step-back threes in the off-season. He's gonna right. put that in the game, and you know the rumors start flying. So I mean, I, I enjoy it. It's fun to watch, but it's not exactly a realistic representation of how these guys are going to play when, uh, when we start to get to those 82 games. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, I cover what Cole does when I'm, you know, or I analyze what Cole does with the believe podcast I have for the magic. And obviously he's a New York city kid. So I'm, I'm familiar with his game, but he's actually one of those guys that's so talented that like, I don't think he's going to end up overseas because he's so talented, but what will be his role? Maybe six man, as I said, because he's definitely one of those type of players that want the basketball. So either six man, it's going to be tough with Paulo and Franz on your team to like, you got six, 10 guys that are making decisions. Like, I don't know how much you're going to get the basketball. You got Suggs there. And now you got Anthony black. Who's probably one of the best decision makers that came out of this draft. And his feel for the game is just on another level. He's going to be making decisions. So it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up with this team. I do not envy being a coach for the Melano Magic because how do you distribute the minutes? <laughs> There's yeah. so many able bodies in yeah. that team. It's just overwhelming I think the, talent. I think the Rock. I mean, look, bro, all these teams have that issue. The Rockets, OKC. Sure. I mean, yeah. ha, ha, like we we got Chet and Michich coming in for OKC. I don't know how much Michich is going to play. I mean, he was a great overseas player, and I think he adds some things off the pick and roll that could help the team. But you know, Chet's coming back. Like, where are these? You got Jalen Williams needs to get major minutes. Like, 
it's going to be tough for these coaches. These coaches, they have the talent now. They just got to figure it out with how they're going to go with these lineups and style of play. Yeah, it's a mix and match game for sure. Just pushing the button, seeing what works. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a trial and error kind of thing over 82 games. Um, But I want to go back to what you mentioned before uh, about going overseas. Uh, Most of the guys we talked about are probably not going to end up overseas, but you had that experience and some guys do play in the NBA and then they transition to go overseas. And uh, I'm sure there are certain challenges that uh, you guys have faced uh, going into a new environment like that. You're playing in a new system. It's a totally different culture that is not present here in the United States. So I next want to ask you about what you found most difficult about playing in a foreign country. Obviously there's the language barrier. Uh, I'm sure that just being in a different time zone, not knowing anybody can be challenging as well. The the type of basketball that's played over there, or what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you faced that you had to adapt to uh, once you made your way international? Yeah, I mean, the language barrier is tough because, you know, in both countries I played and they actually spoke English, but not all the time, right? Like when they were speaking amongst themselves, they weren't speaking English. When they were speaking to you, they were speaking English because they knew it. They learned it in their schools. So that was huge. Obviously, the food was different. Um, I'm pretty open minded when it comes to food, so I didn't have too much of a problem with that. Also, I mean, you're in isolation. You got to understand that most of your teammates have families there and you're by yourself. So. There is yeah. very, if maybe you could be the only American on the team and you're going to have friends on your team, you know, from that country, but they're going to go home to your families and you're not going to have that family. Like, obviously people will invite you over, you know, you're going to have friends on the team, but it can be a very isolating situation depending on your circumstances. Some teams I was on was more like that than others, but you definitely get that. And when you're playing overseas, I think another thing you have to understand is you're not just visiting. I mean, you're there for eight months. There's a lot of yeah. time where you're not play, playing basketball and the mindset has to be is not that I'm visiting here or not that I'm only working here. Like I live here. I really don't live in the States right. anymore. That's how your mindset mm-hmm. has to be. And you almost have to make a life over there if you want to be successful, because when you're living eight yeah. to 10 months somewhere, what are you going to say? What are you just going to wait for the day you're going back to so-called home? No, that is your home when you're living there for that exactly. long. Exactly. It's it sounds like it's a, the the biggest transition you got to make is just being all in and just committing yourself to, you know, being full time. And that's just the nature of when you're playing at that level, you have to be hundred percent committed to it. You can't go into it. Like you're saying, you have a temporary mindset. That's not going to get you where you want to go. Um, so, you know, that's definitely a good point that you made there. Uh, anybody you matched up with either overseas uh, or, or domestic that you just remember like, man, you gave me problems. Like, I'm locked in. Um, I'm focused on being overseas, but like, dude, these guys are, or this guy is, is a problem. He really, uh, you know, made me work that night. Anybody come to mind for you as far as the the most talented players, the best players that you matched up against um, any given night? Yeah, I'd say like, so lockout season, I was playing in a big club in Jerusalem and actually Avery Bradley was on the team. And I remember matching up with him in practice a lot. And that guy was super Mm. quick. He didn't really know the game yet, actually, because he was really young. I think he was only 18 or 19, and he was only there for a Mm. month or two. But just like a crazy athlete, and when you're dealing with somebody that that cat quick, and maybe like, he might have been like, I don't know, maybe two or three inches shorter than me, maybe an inch, you know, something like that, shorter than me. But, um, and he was obviously always a great defender, so he's guarding you as well. That was really tough. DJ Strawberry was on that team, probably one of the more over, sorry, one of the more underrated overseas basketball players I've ever seen. Like he was terrific. He had an all around really nice game. I'm sure people remember him from Maryland and also in high school matching up with Braun at one point. He was great in pickup. You know, I played against Carmelo. I remember at Manhattan college, he's different. What really stuck out about Carmelo was just how strong he was. Like when he gets around the rim, man, that guy is, he is strong. I don't think a lot of people, yeah, I don't think a lot of people, like, everybody knows the skill level. That's apparent when you watch him play and when he gets into his one-on-one bag. But that first step in that strength was just different. You know, I matched up with J.R. Smith in runs before. I think I posted a video on my um, IG of that in the past if you go through the archives. So I played against so many really good overseas pros, NBA players as well. And growing up in New York City, I played against so much, so much talent that nobody even ever heard of, right? for whatever reason, like they went down the wrong path. They didn't take it seriously enough and they were super talented. So like I could go on and on with names that I played against playing in like the NYC street ball 
circuit, which is like Dykeman and Rucker and growing up in those situations. So I've seen a lot of great basketball players in my life and I played against a lot of them. And, you know, I've like thinking about it now, like I've had an incredible basketball experience, like looking back at all the great players I played against. That that's, that's incredible. I mean, you, you hail from an area that is known as arguably the best breeding ground for basketball talent in the country. And yeah. I mean, you routed off all these names that are from that area. And I mean, I did a search on uh, basketball reference just before we went on of all the players from, uh, from uh, New York area. And it's just, it's just staggering. Like you look at all those uh, legendary names to come out of that area. And um, you know, I want to transition to that next and, you know, specifically about New York talent uh, because I mean, obviously, like you said, you're from that area and um, you know, we say New York, but there's a lot of different areas within New York, you know, talking about Brooklyn and the Bronx and everything. But, mm -hmm. you know, for the purpose of the pod, I just want to call it New York, even though it's, you know, these guys are still kind of from different places. But, you know, being from that area, you've seen and you've played with so many different guys. I'm just curious uh, when when you if you try to kind of come up with a list of the best players to come out of New York. I like I did this exercise uh, with with Jamal, my last guest on the podcast. He's from Indiana, and we rattled off like Glenn Robinson and Larry Bird and mm -hmm. Isaiah Thomas as as talent to come from that area. Darius Garland. So I know this is tough, and uh, you know I <laughs> you know we come up with a ten if we need to, we go with the bench, whatever we got to do. But do you have like a top five of basketball talent? to hail from New York? I mean, if it makes it any easier, maybe just guys you've played against or that you remember from your days coming up, anybody in particular you want to highlight as far as talent from New York? Well, let me let me start with like some of the greatest players to ever come out of New York. We got to start with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lou Alcindor, because oh, yeah. like he's top, he's top three ever. So yeah. um, you, you have to mention him when you're talking about the greatest players from New York City. I mean, Steph Marbury yeah. definitely comes to mind. Ron Artest yeah. definitely comes to mind. I'm probably missing people at this point. Like Ron, Ron's brother actually played with me in college. Danny shouts to Danny. He's actually a podcaster now. There are so many guys. It's crazy. Like they did the NYC point guard thing. You know, Kenny Anderson has been on my podcast. He's one of the greats. There is so many great players. Rod Strickland. Uh, mm -hmm. Tiny Archibald is what, I mean, he was top 50, yeah. right? So you have to put him in yep. there. Um, if you count Long Island, part of New York, you put Julius Irving in there. I mean, he wasn't from the five boroughs, but he's from Long Island, which is in New York state. Um, mm -hmm. I could go on and on. And it's like, no matter how many people I name, I'm going to be missing somebody. And if somebody's listening to this, they're gonna be like, how did you name this person? You know? Right. So right. I mean, Chris, Chris Mullen, Mark Jackson. I mean, the list yeah. goes on and on. If I, if we make this micro content, you know, whoever in the comments could let me know who I'm missing. Cause I'm sure it's a lot of players that I'm not naming. Oh, they'll let you know for sure. They'll they'll definitely yeah, let you definitely. know. A couple other names that I um, came across, and I was doing a little bit of research. Uh, Bernard King from uh, from yeah. that area as well. Just wanted to highlight Bernard yeah. King, one of the great scores of all time. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think he still holds the record for the highest scoring game, I believe, on Christmas Day. If I'm not mistaken, I think he still has that record, which just blows my mind. It's been so many years. That turnaround was insane. I mean, he was an absolute bucket. Probably the, I would say Pat Ewing's probably the greatest Nick ever, but Bernard King was the greatest bucket getter as a Nick, I think, ever. Yes. Um. He, he, it's a, yes. And that's tough because Carmelo played for the Knicks, so that, that's a tall task yep. to say you're the greatest bucket getter ever, but he was dropping 50, you know, often. Yep. And an era where I don't think they probably didn't drop those kind of numbers as much. I think we've seen an uptick in 50-point games. So, uh, yeah. yeah, he was incredible. Carmelo and Michael Jordan were, were born in New York. So shouts to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, do we, do we get that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I would say we've got to include them that those are pretty yep. obvious choices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You definitely sure. want to throw them in there, but I mean, yeah, there's just so I mean, many names to come out of that area. I mean, Jabal Tinsley is a guy that's often forgot about. He was an incredible player. I mm. mean, Ray for Austin has been on my podcast. Great player. There, there's so many great players. Swish Parker, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. You can never stop with New York City players. Facts. Uh, just want to mention a couple more real quick. Uh, Cardiac Kemba, Kemba Walker. Can't forget yeah. about can't, the great yeah. Kemba Walker. 
people are going to forget how deadly he was because, you know, obviously now he's playing overseas and uh, his, his best days are behind him. But, I mean, you think about what he did at UConn and then when he got to Charlotte, yeah. just, just being on that team and being one of the best ball handlers in the league, making people look silly. You definitely got to shout him out just for what he was able to do uh, at a small stature. I mean, six feet, six one, uh, just just killing it out there. Definitely want to highlight him. Um, yeah, definitely. And then more of a current definitely. name. Yeah, yeah. and uh, definitely want to highlight Donovan Mitchell as well as as another guy out there. Yeah, I mean, I, Donovan Mitchell is great. I, I think some of his upbringing was in Connecticut, but he definitely played AAU for a team called the city in New York city. I don't know much how much time he spent in New York city, but Hey, we'll take it, man. We'll take it. It works. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it works. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, man. So many names. I mean, I definitely just wanted to, to, to mention those um, just because the amount of talent that come out of New York is, is crazy. And I mean, you mentioned yeah. those, those great um, experiences like um, Dykerman and, and Rucker also, mm-hmm. I mean, did you ever have an, I'm sure you did, but have an opportunity to watch guys like that, the NBA talent play um, like at Rucker or like some of those storied parks around New York? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I feel like I've played against NBA players in those tournaments before. Um, I can't really think of who right now. Um, who did I play against that played in? Hopefully I don't you know, weren't up I, against uh, KD. Uh, when he dropped that, you know, what's interesting, you know, what's interesting about, you know, what's interesting about that. I think we actually, so I played for Hillsong, a team called Hillsong and Dykeman and Rucker. And I believe that's the same team KD played for, but we did not play together. Yeah. So I think because there was a church called Hillsong in New York, and I think it's still around. Um, and we Mm -hmm. actually, I think he played for them and I think I played for them at, at, as well, just not at the same time. But I mean, okay. there, there's so many great players. Like, so even before I ever played in Rucker, I remember watching Jamal Tinsley play at Rucker, and like mm. that was like a spectacle. Like he was, he was, he had a phenomenal handle. He was shooting it well. Uh, he was a great player. I remember him throwing it through somebody's legs, and they fell into the barricade. I think there's video of that somewhere. So um, he he put on a show. I remember that. I'll never forget that. And I think like watching Rucker that day. I think I don't know. I might have been around like. 16 years old. I don't want to age myself here, but that, that experience going to Rucker and watching made me want to play at it. And eventually I did. And, and that was a great experience. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of like what the greats do. I mean, they inspire the next generation and um, you know, yeah. obviously they did that for you and just the way they were able to dominate in the court is really special. Um, so uh, moving on, man, um, talking about special players. Uh, this is a special player we're going to get into here next few minutes. The situation around said player is not very, I wouldn't call it special. Um, that's not the word I would use. Uh, but uh, we're getting into some James Harden news here um, that's been coming out over the past couple of days. So as we know, I mean, Harden had the opportunity to be a free agent this summer. Um, he had a player option worth $35.6 million that he picked up uh, end of June. And um, I mean, there's so many different rumors flying around, man. But just to kind of put things set the record straight. Uh, Harden is refusing to play for the Sixers. He wants nothing to do with Daryl Morey. Um, obviously, he went out on a limb yesterday in China and, and called out Daryl Morey for being a liar and, and all that junk. Uh, so Harden is now in a scenario to where he's trying to assert his leverage. The, the Sixers are doing the same for him. He's under contract. And uh, what's interesting about this is that Bobby Marks, I think it was yesterday, he went on Twitter and he basically kind of laid out the CBA language as far as withholding services, which is what Harden plans to do. So essentially, I'm not going to paraphrase it, but essentially what he said is that a player who refuses to uh, meet the terms of their contract, which is play for that team, uh, more than 30 days after the season starts, uh, is basically uh, determined to have not completed their contract and they are not allowed to uh, negotiate a new contract with another team unless there's unless expressed otherwise. So what he's trying to say is that like Harden has to fulfill the obligation of his contract within 30 days of the season starting, or he is subject to have not fulfilled the terms of his contract and, you know, can't move on and sign a new contract with another team. So 
all that being said, I want to get your take on this. There's a lot of takes out right now. There's a lot of opinions, but uh, does this surprise you at all? I guess, first off, and do you find one party more at fault than the other? Like what are your initial thoughts after seeing the video and seeing all the controversy surrounding Harden in in the Sixers right now? Yeah, I was surprised. It felt really weird. It felt like somebody was like telling James Harden to say that. Like the whole thing, it was in Asia. Like the whole thing just looked weird. Um, I found it quite shocking because usually you don't hear the player directly call some somebody in the front office a liar. But I mean, yeah, this is directly on the microphone in front of a camera. And not only that, he, mm-hmm. he said it twice to make sure you heard him. Yeah. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another thing is James Harden doesn't even really like to he doesn't even really like to talk that much. Like no, from what I hear, everybody no. seems to everybody seems to like James Harden, like from a social aspect. Even there are some players, you know, like PJ Tucker follows him wherever he goes. Like he obviously loves mm-hmm. to play with James Harden, but he never really talks to the media that much. And he doesn't talk too much on like interviews or when he's talking to a group. So for him to just say that out of nowhere, he must be really angry. Like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, he has to be really upset about something for this to happen. With that said, like, I always said for the past, you know, year or so, like, James Harden eventually has to look in the mirror because every situation that James Harden is in, he always see, it always seems like from his perspective, the grass is greener or he doesn't like the situation that he's currently in. Like, we've seen that with Houston at the end. We've seen that with the Nets. Now we're seeing that with the Sixers. But, but we never seen him quite this angry, so I'm not exactly sure what Daryl Morey did. But but it not but it must have not been good because I can't imagine James Harden getting to a point where he's going to say that not only once but twice on camera, and Daryl Morey isn't at fault at all. Like I find that hard to believe because James Harden is pretty quiet when it comes to the media. That's true. That's true. Harden is definitely more of a laid back guy. He does a lot of his work just by his play and behind the scenes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I really have the same thoughts. It just kind of came as a surprise, especially yeah. since when I first saw the quote before the video, I think it was yesterday morning. And, you know, I'm just waking up, I'm getting ready for my day. And I see this come across my screen on Twitter. Uh, and I'm like, is this, is this like uh, one of those like fake accounts, just trying to make something up, just get views or something. But it, it was real. It was from, it was from Sham, so I'm like, wow, this is, you know, this is serious business here. So, yeah, just think about this whole situation. I, I do also go back to the point you made about the grass is greener because it's not like just the organizations that he's had a problem with. It's players specifically over the years. It's Dwight Howard. It's, it's Chris Paul. It's um, the whole Katie Kyrie thing in, in Brooklyn. It's just it's it really just kind of confuses me because he's had these great players he's played with through the years and great teams he's almost his whole career pretty much his entire career he's been on winning teams and he still wants to move on and and find something different so yeah it just makes you wonder is it the people he's with is it hard in himself you know I, i feel like in this scenario it could be a little bit of both um just because like you said i mean hard's not gonna get riled up over nothing but at the same time was it really the best idea to call him out publicly in China? And the fact that it was in China is definitely intentional as well, because we know that there was a lot of um, controversy with Corey in that country. So he knew what he was doing. And I just wonder, like, was that the best move to make in that scenario? It's interesting you said that because I actually heard them cheering. Like it wasn't, it wasn't even like shock. Like I didn't hear shock from that crowd. It was like, I heard like applause. Like, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. it was, it was interesting. It was like, yeah. So I, I don't know, but like, obviously he's not a favorite there for him to say it. There is very interesting. I actually didn't even make that connection until you said it, but the whole thing was just very shocking and weird. And it's like, when I was growing up in New York city, it was almost like that person who would just like, there was this one guy who used to play and he used to like, when he didn't like what was happening, whether it may be a call, he just took his basketball, either went home or he would like sit on his ball in the middle of the court. And, you know, eventually he would just stay like that and people would just like go play somewhere else or he'd feel the pressure and feel like he have to play. Right. Because you're messing up the run for nine other people and the people waiting on the side. So will James Harden eventually feel that pressure and want to come back and play? I don't know, man. He seems to be at a place where he'll never play with the Sixers again. It does seem like that. Uh, But I mean, money talks. 
<laughs> the, the lack of money talks. So, I mean, if it comes down to a Ben Simmons situation where it's like, you know, you're not going to get your money, obviously I mean, he can do without it. But I just wonder how that's going to come into play if we get into the season and this lingers. Um, I just wonder what the Sixers do from here because you have a disgruntled player that doesn't want to come back for you. He's an integral part of your team. You don't want to trade him for peanuts because you have Embiid. You want to be competitive, but you don't want to have a guy you're paying $35 million that's just dead money because he refuses to play. So I'm sure they're going to keep exploring options. But again, I don't envy this front office. I don't envy these people because it just seems like no matter how this plays out, it seems like they're both parties are going to end up losing something in the process. It's just unfortunate because uh, it seems like the Sixers have had so much talent over the past five or six years and something always comes up to ruin it. So it's just a shame. They've really had great opportunities and this might be kind of like the end of the road for them for this chapter. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about it, but when you let too much out to the public, it, oh, it usually hurts your leverage. I feel like, like we're seeing it with Dame. I only want to go to this team. I mean, mm -hmm. that makes it kind of hard for that team to make a deal with them when, you know, it's like, and now we're seeing it with this, like, you know, actually like KD and the Nets did it the right way. They kind of kept it on the hush and just boom, there was a move, right? Nobody really knew what was going on. And then boom, there was a move. Like, I think that's the way to do it. I don't know how you feel about it, Me too. but it, it it's just, it's just like that. This is not the way to go because it just hurts your leverage. You know, the guy is not going to play there. So, you know, you're looking at, you're looking at the six, like, what are you going to really do? Like you have no choice but to make this deal. Right. So you, you know, the Sixers lose their leverage in this situation. And James Harden is definitely making it uncomfortable for them. Yeah, Harden is making it uncomfortable for him, for, for them. And, um, you know, it could bring up some uncomfortable conversations when it comes to, like, how he's remembered, his legacy. Mm. I feel like his – I've seen this tossed around a little bit on social media as well. People ask the question, now that he's done this again for, you know, the third time or whatnot, you know, how do we – look back on his career obviously he's uh you know one of the best players to ever play his his prime years in houston were legendary they're incredible but when your career ends like this to where not only are you causing off-court drama but he's had he's come up short in the playoffs a few times playing this playing the celtics in the playoffs this past spring he had a couple of um performances that were not ideal for him game six and seven uh where they were up three two a uh, chance to win that series. And it's just a shame, man. It's like he has this great resume and he's been a great player, but it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Just seeing how this career has gone down over the past couple of years. Yeah. I mean, the good thing for him is that his story is not over. So hopefully he gets to a place where he wins a championship. And then I think if he does that, a lot of this will be forgotten, but you know, people, and I don't even think KD did anything wrong. Like people still hold that against KD. And KD's even a greater player than James Harden, like him going to the Warriors and winning championships in that way, even though he was, in my opinion, the best player on the court, you know, even with Steph Curry, right? That's that's my humble opinion. And obviously he's he got the finals MVPs to show it. But it's yep. like people hold that against him and he's a top 10 talent of all time. So, yeah, I mean, I think some people will hold it against him. The one thing going for James Harden is his story is not over yet. So hopefully he get it together and eventually win a championship which is so hard to do in this league, but um, hopefully for him, he could do it. Um, yeah. And as you said, like him with the Rockets, he, he was just ridiculous. Like I've seen games where he would just drop 50 so easily, like with no effort, it was ridiculous. Obviously the system was built around him. They were playing the numbers game and all that stuff. They had the perfect roster, but man, that guy could drop 50 with ease, with ease. So crazy. easy. Yeah. Yeah. 30, 30 points, 30 points in, I don't know. I don't remember how many games in a row. It looked, I remember, like, I, I saw, I remember, I remember seeing one game versus the Knicks in the garden, and it looks like he was just floating around, scoring, like, like it was like just him, like, kind of like, like, like just in the gym playing pickup, working on his game a little bit, dropping 50. Like, he was just exactly. head and shoulders better than everybody. It was yeah. just clear, you know? Yeah. No, he's in a different class, man. He's definitely uh, the elite amongst the elite for sure. I mean, there's no question. We're going to have fond memories of those days. He was so much mm -hmm. fun to watch. For sure. For sure. Uh, so, so one last topic for you here, Andrew, for uh, let's go this evening. 
Um, this is a new addition that the NBA is going to implement next season. And I, I wanted to talk about this because as of today, uh, Tuesday, August 15th, the NBA has dropped the uh, schedule for this tournament, the in-season tournament. And the, the groups have been solidified. The games have been finalized. The dates are all set for the tournament. So, I mean, it starts on November 3rd. It's going to run through December 9th, the championship in Las Vegas. It, it's basically how it, we're kind of taking cue from overseas as far as those mm-hmm. tournaments go. Those are different cups and everything. So it's mm-hmm. definitely a little bit of an international player to it which I like uh, for sure. Um, But I wanted to get your thoughts on this because just like the play-in tournament, there's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of, is this going to be a success? Are players going to care? There's a $500,000 cash prize. Uh, I want to see what you think about this. Is that enough of an incentive? Uh, Bobby Marks earlier went on ESPN and said he would like the team that wins the tournament to get an automatic bid in the playoffs. I think that's a step too far. I think it's a little bit of a, Oh, too much of a reward for a team that wins that tournament. But w- what are your thoughts on this tournament, Andrew? And do you feel like, uh, you know, there's this it, is really worth doing on the league's part? Is this an, is, is there enough of an incentive to get players to participate and uh, really put their put put their best foot forward in this thing? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll have more intensity than some of those like later regular season games. Right. Cause the product in late in the regular season, right before the playoffs usually isn't that good anyway. And I think the NBA is thinking more long-term than short-term. Like we have to build this thing up to a point where it matters to players, right? Maybe the first year won't matter, but by the eighth, ninth, 10th, and where there's some history to it, you know, teams start to care and you're building a culture around the midseason tournament. I love that it's in Vegas because they're obviously going to expand there. And I'm a big summer league guy. Like I go to summer league every day at Vegas, Vaz, basketball in Vegas when the yep. whole basketball community there is just so yep. different. So if we could get one, yeah. So you're out there for Vegas during the uh, yep. summer every league? Year. Yeah, me every too. Year, yeah. I'm so, we probably walked past each other. Didn't even know. But um, <laughs> yeah, but um, it's like if we could get some more of that, I'm all for it. Like I just love basketball in Vegas at the highest levels. And this is going to be even a higher level, right? Like we love Vegas yeah. with the, you know, the developing players and the rookies coming in, but now we're getting like full NBA teams out there in a tournament. I think it's going to be really dope. Me too. Me too. I, I like what the NBA is trying to do, do here because the challenge over the past few years has been, does regular season even really mean anything? That's what the NBA has been kind of fighting against, making it mean something Mm-hmm. making these games really just get that intensity, like you're saying, that is going to make it fun to watch. And the fact of the matter is, like, these games are in the middle of the season. Yes, the games at the end can sometimes be kind of a drag, but also, like, in the middle of the calendar in the wintertime, also some of those games can be a little bit of a drag, like you have players sitting and you may have the players hurt, and, you know, you're far enough from the playoffs that, like, you're not really making that stretch run yet. So people might be taking their foot off the gas a little bit. But, hey, I mean, I love the fact that we have group play. You're, you're playing these teams in your group. You go to a knockout stage. Uh, you know, you got the you got the semifinals, finals. And the, the best part about this, I think, or one of the best parts, is the fact that these teams are not going to have to play a bunch of extra games. Because that was my big question going in. It's like, is this in addition to 82 games? But they formatted it in such a way that it's only one extra game. Um, if you're in the championship, you get 83. So, um, I, I do like that part of it. Uh, hopefully the stars participate all the way through. I mean, if they're part of the 82, I'd expect them to participate all the way through if they're healthy. So I, I think that's a major win. And like you said, I mean, it could be a process. So hopefully as the years go on, it gets more and more accepted and uh, people just get more and more excited about it, especially if the prize is raised or the stakes are raised in terms of what you can get if you win the whole thing. I think it builds camaraderie if some of the star players really put their all into it, cause they're playing for something for the players that aren't making as much money, right? Like $500,000 yeah, yeah. might not mean a lot to them. $500,000 is still $500,000, no matter how much you have. Oh, first of all, facts. second of all, that's, that's a lot of money to some of the, uh, you know, vet minimum players, younger players, two way players, guys coming, you know, who aren't making as much money. So if those guys are going to 
play really hard for that. Like the Suns are got a lot of guys that aren't making a lot of money for NBA standards. So, I mm-hmm. mean, if their star players could play for the rest of the team, I think that could build something for those type of teams. And also those players that aren't making a lot, you know, they're going to be going hard. So oh, yeah. I, I think it's a good, I, I think it's a good incentive. Like, you know, those Suns role players are going to be going hard. And I think the stars yes. will go hard for them for that. We've seen the bubble Suns do well in the past and, it won't be the bubble, but, you know, it'll have a different kind of feel than we ever seen before. So it should be interesting. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of before. The fact that these stars can play for the betterment of the yeah. role players that are on minimum right. contracts. So if you're making one million, maybe after taxes, you're making less than a million, like 500K. I mean, you're talking about. Uh, you get, a 40, that's a 33. 60%. That, I mean, that. I don't I'm not, I don't know if I'm doing the math precisely. I'm pretty good with simple math, but if you're make if you're making a million and then you get 500,000, that's a 33% raise, right? Like for the year. 33 or is it is it 50%? I thought it was more like 50 if you're cuz that would be Wait. 50 if you had a million Well, no, then... you'll be you Well, no, but okay. Well, anyway, you'll be making 1.5 instead of, of a million. <laughs> it's a lot more. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it, yeah. it's not double, but it's a lot more. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about like a, a lot, I, I would say I was. Earnings, I, I was thinking a million is sixty six percent of one point five, but whatever. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they get the point. <laughs> people get the point. Like it's people get it's a nice point. little bonus incentive for these guys are on the margins. You know, if you're on a right. not guaranteed or something like that, like oh, I need all that money. I need. They're gonna be hyped the after the bonus. after they win. They're gonna be hyped and they're gonna be. You know, if it's somebody on the Suns, they're going to be like, yo, KD, I appreciate you, man. You know, if you just dropped 50 oh, yeah. and got this win for us and you got me an extra 500K, come on, man. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, Jordan, Jordan Goodwin, um, Kata Bates Diop, like all these guys, Bull Bull, like all those guys that signed on. Yeah. And I mean, they're going to have pretty decent roles. Uh, Damian Lee, I think, was brought back. Those are the type of players that hey, if they go off and win them a game, they go off for 20, 25, or a double-double or something like that. Like, the vibes are going to be immaculate. I would love to see that. I mean, Vegas Bowl Bowl is different. I know you've seen him out there. He's – he's Oh, yeah. He's a he's a, two, he's a 2K player for real when he's in Vegas. So, no, I know he's, he's comfortable he's, out there. <laughs> he's a creative player, man. <laughs> yeah, definitely. For sure. No, I can't wait to see that, man. I think we're kind of on the same page. Uh, there's some questions they have to answer. Uh, it's going to take time for people to really accept what this tournament stands for and uh, what it does. But I think the ratings reflect the the legitimacy of this thing. The The plan tournament was the same way. Like when it got brought in the bubble, people are like, well, it's not fair. If you're in the seventh seed, you got to play to get in. But we saw what happened in this past playoff run and how that benefited the NBA. You got these teams that they're in the, in, they're in the plan tournament they get to the, he got to the finals and I think it just opens up opportunities. It's just more opportunities for drama because as much as we might hate to admit it, sometimes off court of the NBA matters just as much. It's sometimes even more than on court product. We see it with the James Harden, Damian Lillard stuff. So I think that's important to remember as well. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think if you have that good chemistry over time, it adds up. Like we saw that with Denver, like it's apparent those guys like each other. Right. And I think that's so important in the NBA. And another thing that's happening is that like, I think like team building and continuity is so important in the modern NBA because the, I've talked about this before, like they're just more talent in the NBA than ever. So what's going to separate you, right? It's not the math game anymore. Like the warriors, because all the teams are shooting at threes. Obviously they don't have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, but you can't play the math game quite like you used to. The star players, there's not as much of a difference from, you know, the average player to the star. There's more players that could sneak into all-star games than ever before. You just have so much talent. So I think continuity and chemistry means so much. So I totally agree with you. Most definitely, man. Most definitely. We're going to see that on display. And, uh, you know, hopefully these teams put on a good show. It's it's going to be great for the NBA. So Most definitely. that brings us to the, uh, the end of the road, man. But, Andrew, I want to thank you again, man, for jumping on. Um, it's been a great conversation. I love what you guys got going on um, over on your side for your podcast. Um, keep up the great work. And uh, I want to put uh, give you the floor real quick to shout out your pod, shout out what you got going on. Uh, let the listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, you can listen to my podcast 
wherever you listen to podcasts, combos, court, uh, C-O-M-B-O-S-C-O-U-R-T. We are coming up, C-O-U-R-T, that's right. We're coming up on 500 episodes, so that should be dropping Congrats. soon. We just put out a, yeah, appreciate that. We just put out a pod with Woody Page from, you know, Around the Horn. I'm sure people have mm-hmm. heard of him before. We've had a lot of great guests in the past. You can go through the archives. You can find me on Instagram at one two combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. I put a lot of clips from the podcast on there and other fun stuff. I have a lot of fun over there on Instagram, Twitter, Combos Court, same name as the podcast. And um, you could catch me on the no trade clause. I, um, this summer in Vegas, so I want I want to. We got to record in person, my man, because I see you got the setup. Oh, now, yeah. now I realize, yeah. So um, can't wait for that to happen. And um, appreciate yes, you sir. having me on. You made this um conversation really easy for me, and you do a great job from the introduction all the way through. I appreciate that, man. And hundred uh, percent, we'll get you out in Vegas, man. We'll, we'll set you up. I'll put you on the books. Uh, give you the whole uh, studio setup. I mean, when I say it's nice. professional, man, it's like you're on an ESPN set. It's 4K quality. Yeah. It's got the lights, camera action. It's the whole nine. So we got you, yeah. man. We'll take care of you. Yeah, that's super dope. I think that's like a great goal to have something like that all year round. And, and that's going to happen for you soon, yes. Aaron. I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. When I get back to my home office, I'm like, I think I got a pretty decent setup. <laughs> but man, I just, I'm just spoiled out there in Vegas with all those cameras. Yeah, and stuff. man, it's so nice. <laughs> it's dope. It's dope. Yeah, it's dope. Vegas is super dope, man. I, I like. I really encourage anybody who's working in basketball or even a fan of basketball to you know check out Vegas, yeah. whether it be summer league or the midseason tournament. And I can't wait till they have an expansion team. That's gonna be really, really dope. Oh, even better. Even better. I think it's not too far down the line. It's definitely on the way. Exactly. Exactly. So, everybody, thanks for tuning in to another installment of NTC. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, If you made it to this point, please consider giving us a like, subscribing to our YouTube channel, um, subscribing on your favorite streaming platform so you do not miss a thing. And um, be sure to check out more episodes just like this with great people like Andrew. Uh, We hope to have you guys on. So, enjoy the rest of your day, guys. We hope to see you on the next installment. And um, have a good one. Take care.